morning and welcome once again to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you to the continuation of a series entitled, What If? What if? It's those questions where we think about what if and what about. And, and many times, as we said last week, our what if questions tend to be about the past. We're always looking back, wondering, well, what if I would have done this? What if I wouldn't have done that? This is not so much a series about the past. We said we can't control the past. It's done. It's over. But we can control what takes place in our future. And so we're looking at a number of what if or if statements from the Word of God. And the goal is this. What if, with God's help, we could change our future. We could change how we react in certain situations. What could we do? What could we become? What could God do in us and through us? So last week we were looking at the if scripture and the, the thought was what if we were truly spirit-led? Led according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. Took a look in Galatians chapter 5, and certainly you can find that online. You can listen to that. If you miss it, you can replay it as well. Our what if or our if scripture this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. It reads like this, and be on the screen. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So this morning, the if or the what if topic, it's about something that we all need. We typically will seek, but it's often hard to give. And that's forgiveness. And the statement is, what if we forgave like God? What if we forgave like God? Many times we don't forgive like God, we forgive like Joe. Joe was dying. For many years, he had been at odds with Bill, formerly one of his best friends. Wanting to straighten things out, he sent word for Bill to come and to see him. When Bill arrived, Joe told him he was afraid to go into eternity with such bad feelings between the two of them. Then, very reluctantly and with incredible effort, Joe apologized for things that he had said and done. He also assured Bill that he forgave him for all of his offenses. Bill was touched and, and Everything seemed fine until Bill got up and went to leave the house. And as he walked out of the room, Joe called out after him, But remember, if I get better, this doesn't count. See, many times we can tend to forgive more like Joe than like God. We can tend to put limits or conditions on our forgiveness. For Joe, his mind was, well, I think I'm dying, and if that's the case, then I guess I'm going to forgive you. But if I don't die, and if I'm good, I take it all back. And it doesn't count. So this morning, we're going to take a look 
How do we forgive more like God than like Joe? It's a C.S. Lewis quote, and he once wrote this. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Doesn't that just about sum it up? Forgiveness is a lovely idea. Forgiveness should be practiced. Forgiveness should be given. Forgiveness should be granted until we're the ones who need to give and grant and show and demonstrate. And so this, this idea, this topic about forgiveness, what if we forgave like God? Forgiveness is tough, right? Forgiveness isn't easy. I mean, it, it typically just doesn't roll off our tongue. It, it's not just one of those instances where you just automatically just jump into forgiving other people. It's tough to do many times. See, forgiving doesn't necessarily mean forgetting. You've heard it, right? Forgive and forget. <laughs> well, we struggle with the first part and maybe struggle even more with the second part. Forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean that we forget. Does it mean that if we extend forgiveness to someone that somehow that event or that, that thing that was said or that thing that was done, does that mean that we all of a sudden just black out and just, just don't remember it? Isn't that tough to do? We've got this incredible thing, this incredible brain, this incredible mind, and it's hard to simply say, I don't remember when this person said that, when this person did that. So the idea is sometimes we think, okay, I'll forgive, but I won't forget the case is, many times, it's difficult to forget. Sometimes we're hurt so badly, so deeply, it's tough to, quote, forget. So forgiving doesn't necessarily mean that we forget, but hopefully we can choose to stop remembering, choose to stop bringing it up, choose to stop kind of flaunting in front of the other person about how gracious we were in forgiving can we somehow move beyond that? Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that we excuse the sin. It doesn't mean pretending that nothing happened. As if when we forgive, we act like nothing ever happened. Or pretending that everything is a-okay. Because both you and the individual probably know something did happen, something was said, something was done, and something is probably not a-okay. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean you write something off and you say, okay, that sin is okay, it's allowable. That's not what forgiveness is. We, we acknowledge the sin, we acknowledge the hurt, but don't let that be a barrier between you and another individual. Forgiveness is also not necessarily reconciliation. We hope and you hope that reconciliation will take place between two individuals. But forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that that relationship is completely restored, completely re, uh, healed. Forgiveness hopefully is a great step on a person's part. But reconciliation, it's more of that two-way street, right? Right? 
If one person steps out in forgiveness, there might still be some hurt feelings. There hopefully would be attitudes on both sides to step out in love and in forgiveness to restore and reconcile. So this concept, Colossians says, bear with each other. It doesn't mean be a bear to each other. Let's just clear that up, okay? Misconception here in Colossians chapter 3. Don't be a bear, but bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone. So bear with one another, forgive one another. If there's any grievance, if there's anything between you and somebody else, do these things. And in case you're wrestling with how to do this, Paul tags those last few lines, and sometimes you wish or we wish that he didn't. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, man, Paul, what you have to go do that for? Bring up his love and his forgiveness in my heart and in my life? Absolutely. That's the direction this morning. Our if scripture, our what if challenges, what if we forgave like God? So I'm going to invite you back to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at a, a story, a parable that Jesus was telling and teaching when it comes to forgiveness. And looking at a handful of principles, what would it look like if we were to forgive more like God, less like Joe, from our opening story. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, we read this. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, different translations, some will say 77 or 70 times 7. The principle here for us in forgiveness is this. If we're going to forgive more like God, we need to forgive without limits. So Jesus is about ready to tell a parable, and he's answering this question by Peter. How many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me? You ever, you ever wondered that? You know, there's that one person, whoever it might be, whatever situation, whatever context comes up, and that person irritates you or drives you crazy, says things, does things intentionally, unintentionally, whatever the case, and, and you're trying to forgive. And, and you're trying to love with the love of God. And, and you feel like you've forgiven. And it happens again. And so you muster up some strength and you forgive again. And don't you know it? You get hurt again. And your question, maybe you've been there like Peter saying, how many times should I forgive? Now, it's interesting. Peter says, Lord, how many times? Up to seven times? Now, now, we look at that and we kind of smile because we know what's coming. We know Jesus' answer. 
but pretend you didn't know the 77 or the 70 times 7, and you were there in that day and culture. In that day and culture, different commentators, different scholars have said that the biblical rabbis of the day, now there's a, a little bit of disagreement. Some would say rabbis taught to forgive three times. Others said rabbis taught to forgive four times. Either way, this is kind of the question where Peter's almost uh, asking the question, and maybe you've been there. When you say something and you assume it's going to be so profound that everybody around you is just going to wonder in amazement. Or you say something that's so funny that everyone's just going to fall out with laughter. Or you say something that's just so incredible, everybody around you is going to stop what they're doing, look at you and go, wow. It, It kind of reminds me of something like that. It's almost as if Peter is saying, in his mind, okay, I know that some of the other teachers, some of the other rabbis are saying to forgive three times or or forgive four times, but I want to ask Jesus for real, how many times should we forgive? I know. I'll put them together and I'll I'll offer up seven. Everyone's going to be so amazed at my incredible offer. Everyone's going to be so amazed that I said seven because that's outrageous. And Jesus is going to be so impressed. I mean, everyone's just going to look at me and think, wow, Peter, seven times? You'd really do that seven times? Maybe that's just my overactive imagination taking place. But I'm, I'm almost picturing Peter to do something like this. And he, he says, how many times, Jesus, should I forgive that, that crazy man or woman doing this, saying this, whatever? Seven times? He looks around. He's he's ready for all the adulation. And what does Jesus say? No, not seven times, Peter, but 77 or 70 times seven. It's almost as if he's, he's answering this and giving this, what, like a math question, Jesus? We see 70 times 7, carry the 4, the hundreds. Let's see, how, how do I do this in common core? Um, let's see, four, four large uh, things representing 100, uh, 490 times. 77 times or 490 times. Either way, whatever the correct interpretation of that, it's a whole lot more than 7, a whole lot more than 3 or 4. Now, was Jesus literally saying, only forgive 77 times? Was Jesus literally saying, only forgive 490 times? That's it. The 491st time, they're out of there. No. He's not saying, you know, keep track on a little, you know, tablet of paper. Oh, one. Yep, did it again. Two. Let me keep track of all my wrongs. Let me keep track of all my records here and see where everybody is. Oh, guess what? You just hit triple digits. You're, you're at 100. Oh, you're getting close. Jesus isn't saying there's this exact number, 77 or 490 times. He's making the point that we are to forgive without limit. 
Peter was so impressed by himself and his question, thinking, surely seven is so much better than three or four. Well, could we potentially forgive somebody seven times? I mean, have you been hurt? Have you been irritated? Have you been annoyed? Have, have someone done something to you at least seven times? Chances are pretty good at some point in your time, right? So it's not about three. It's not about four. It's not about seven. It's not about 77. It's not about 490. It's forgiving without limits. Jesus is saying we should have this propensity, we should have this desire, it should be a part of our lives that no matter what, without limit, without keeping score, without marking things on a scoreboard, scorecard, that we always forgive. It doesn't matter how big the offense, we are to forgive. Because don't you know that 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 makes a difference to us? Because if it's something little, aren't we a little bit more likely to forgive? Somebody overlooks something minor, and we write it off as something minor, and we're in a good mood, and your favorite team won, so okay, I forgive you. But if it's something a little bit bigger, if it's something that meant a little bit more, if you're in a foul, bad mood for whatever reason, we're a lot more likely to say, well, fine, I don't forgive you. I'm mad. I'm hurt. You said this. You did this. Whatever the case might be. And so many times we rank our forgiveness based on how big the offense is. If it's little, I'll forgive you. Because I know I might do something little too, and then you better forgive me. But boy, if it's big... Whatever the case might be, whatever we feel is big at the time, we're not so sure that we want to forgive. Jesus isn't making qualifications. He's not stating in fine print, forgive small offenses most of the time. He's saying forgive. Forgive. Forgive ooh, without limits. No matter how big the offense is, no matter how frequent the offense is. We might say, okay, I can handle that first one no matter how big it is. I mean, I can kind of psych myself up to forgiving an offense. But don't you dare do that same thing on me second time or third time or fourth or fifth or sixth or 490th time. Again, Jesus isn't putting qualifications on how large or small the offense is. He's not putting qualifications on how many times the offense happens. Now, certainly, we're not to be a punching bag, but we are to forgive. When someone wrongs, will we forgive without limits? Jesus is saying, not three, not four, not seven. Take your pick, 77, 490, without limit, we are to forgive. If we truly forgave like Jesus, we would forgive without limits. Jesus isn't putting qualifiers in. He's not putting special language. He's not putting some of that lawyer ease, the fine print of a coupon, the fine print of a, of a contract. He's saying, we are to develop 
forgiveness. If we're going to forgive more like God, as opposed to Joe from our opening story, we'll forgive without limits. Secondly, if we're going to forgive more like God, we've got to remember God's forgiveness. Remember God's forgiveness. So Peter asked this question, how many times should I forgive? He's thinking three or four, I'll say seven, and Jesus said 77 or 70 times seven. So then he tells this story beginning in verse 23. It's a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Stop there. 10,000 bags of gold is what the NIV says. Other versions or translations would write that as 10,000 talents. So these are all weight amounts. A talent was a massive amount of gold, and you're saying 10,000 massive amounts of gold. Whether it's a large bag of gold or an incredible amount of gold, 10,000 of these is a massive figure. Now, again, dispute when it comes to how do you figure the value of this in Bible days, today's uh, dollar value and gold value. Some people put it into the millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars, and others would talk about this per perhaps as being closer to a billion dollars. Now, Jesus in his story, he doesn't give us all the details because some of you are thinking, well, how in the world could you ever owe someone a billion dollars? Who would ever loan you a billion dollars? That's not the point of the story, right? Jesus is, is telling us this story. He's telling us this parable to make a point. Don't worry about the background issues. Everybody just think, what if you owed a billion with a B, billion dollars? How in the world would you ever pay it? What if you owed a million dollars? How in the world would you ever pay it? So it's not so much about the amount, whether it's 10,000 bags, 10,000 talents, how much is a talent worth then, how much is a talent worth now. It's a whole lot of money. The point is, this amount of money was so large, this debt was so big, it could never be paid. That's how much it is. Because if you say, well, Man, I don't know that I could pay $1,000. Well, somebody somewhere at some point could pay off a debt of $1,000 or $10,000 or $100,000 or whatever. This, this debt was so incredibly large. He, he's, it's like, like Jesus' math from before, 70 times 7 or 77. It's not the point. It's, it's so incredibly large. We are to forgive without limits. In this story, then Jesus is saying this debt was so incredibly large it could never be paid. I mean, a billion dollars. How in the world can you pay a billion dollars? Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. I mean, what are you, you going to get from his family and from what he has? Certainly not millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, a billion dollars. 
But he's saying this debt was so great, he couldn't pay it. Here's what was going to take place. Verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Did you see those three words? Canceled the debt? Whatever that number was. Millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, a billion dollars, whatever it was, it was so out of reach, it was so astronomical, he was not able to pay. That unpayable amount was canceled, was done away with. How would you feel if that described you? You owed millions of dollars and they canceled your debt. You owed a billion dollars somehow, some way, and your debt was canceled. He canceled the debt and let him go. The debt that could never be paid. Does that debt sound familiar? Do you happen to know anybody that has a debt like that? Maybe not in the financial world. But I bet you and I might have an idea of someone or two or three in the spiritual world. What's the old hymn? He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about the finances that come to Christ and a billion dollars is going to be credited to you. He's talking about forgiveness. Every single one of us, if we have come to Christ, we had a debt we could not pay. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. There's this incredible debt. We could not pay the debt, and yet Jesus Christ, through his blood on the cross, through his death and burial and resurrection, he paid the debt. He cleansed and forgave and canceled our debt. We've been forgiven the sin and the debt we could not pay. God's word talks about this multiple times. We'll give you just a handful. Isaiah 55, 7 says, God will abundantly pardon our sins. Psalm 103, 12 says, God removes transgressions as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 1.18 says, God cleanses our sins as white as snow. Micah 7.19 says, our sins are thrown into the depths of the sea. Isaiah 43.25 says that God blots out our transgressions. And Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 says, our sins have been nailed to the cross. All of those are things that God has done as he has cleansed and has forgiven us. So if we're going to forgive like God, 
we've got to remember his forgiveness of us. He has so incredibly blessed, so incredibly forgiven. You probably don't have a debt of millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions or a billion dollars. But every single one of us had a debt of sin. What would that have entailed? Not in a dollar value as to how much those sins were worth, but to try to pay the price. There's no way you and I could possibly pay the price for our forgiveness. It was a debt of a price we could not pay, and Christ canceled it. So Jesus is he's getting ready, he's teaching, he's helping us to make the point, helping us to understand we've got to forgive others without limit. We've got to remember God's forgiveness of us. And then thirdly and finally, as Jesus begins to finish and wrap this story up, he says, we've got to choose to forgive. Verses 28 and following, Jesus, he continues this interesting and powerful story. Here's a man has been forgiven of a million dollars, millions of dollars, tens, hundreds of millions, whatever that fantastically high amount was, he was forgiven a debt he could not pay that he and his family were about ready to get dragged in and sold off. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Again, a little different day and culture than our finances, but 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents, when you're talking millions of dollars, perhaps hundreds of millions of dollars, some scholars as much as a billion dollars or more, we're talking astronomical, could never be paid, could never be reached kind of amount. That's what has been forgiven him. And yet, someone owed him 100 silver coins. Does that mean 10 bucks? Does that mean 50 bucks? Does that mean 100 bucks? It's something so minute in comparison, something that is so reachable, so attainable, that somebody could come up with that. And what does he do? He found one of those servants who owed him that. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Now we read this and we think, oh, Jesus, he's, he's just exaggerating. I would never be someone to grab and choke someone who, you know, I, I don't want to forgive. Really. Maybe we've never had something of the physical nature, but have we in our hearts, have we in our minds, have we not at some point wanted to do that to someone? Maybe. Maybe there's some of that anger, some of that frustration boiling up. And, and we don't do it on the outside, but boy, on the inside, we are slaying and slaughtering and just laying them bare. Maybe we'll let other friends or family or those close to us in on some of our frustration. We just light them up. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Does that sound at all familiar? Wasn't that the very thing that first servant said? You know, the servant who had a massive debt he could not pay, 
back in, oh, let me see, verse 26, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. It's literally the same phrasing. He was forgiving a massive debt he could never pay, and now he finds somebody else who does have a much smaller, much minute debt that could be paid, and he doesn't cancel he doesn't extend. He doesn't give grace. He doesn't give mercy. He doesn't say, hey, I'll see you next week. He doesn't say, hey, you know, can you give me a look? He says nothing other than this. Verse 30, he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. He was forgiven this massive debt he could not pay. Astronomical fee. And another individual owed him considerably smaller amount. He had him arrested and put into jail. Verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. That would probably catch people's attention, right? A man being forgiven of millions and millions of dollars, perhaps, demanding 50 bucks from a buddy? You bet people are going to take notice. They saw what had happened. They were outraged. They told their master, verse 32, then the master called the servant in, the first one. He said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? He's saying, listen, I chose to forgive you. I didn't have to. You owed me. It's immaterial how you got to such a large debt, but you did, and I chose, and I forgave it. Not half of it, not a portion of it, not most of it, all of it. Shouldn't you have had that same love and grace and mercy towards others. You've been forgiven so much. Can't you forgive some? Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a decision. God did not have to. He took a look at you. He took a look at me. Was there something about ourselves that was so incredibly good and worthwhile that we earned it? We didn't earn forgiveness. We didn't earn grace and mercy. He chose. He willingly desired to give and to honor and to bestow that upon us. It was a choice. It was a decision. God chose to send his son to die upon the cross, to pay the debt he didn't have to pay for someone who could never pay. And in response to that, shouldn't we forgive others? Shouldn't we choose and decide to forgive others? You say, but I don't feel like it. Whether we feel like it or not, shouldn't we forgive? Whether they've wronged us or not, shouldn't we forgive? Whether they, quote, deserve it or not, shouldn't we forgive? Whether it's easy or not, shouldn't we forgive? If we're going to forgive more like God and less like Joe, 
will choose, will decide, will determine in our hearts, we will forgive. It's a Spanish story about a father and son who had become estranged. The son ran away and the father set off to find him. He searched month after month after month with no success. Finally, in a last-ditch effort to find him, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. It was shortened to the point, and it read like this. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday at noon in front of the newspaper office, over 800 Pacos showed up looking for love, looking for their father's forgiveness. You see, forgiveness that is granted, forgiveness that is bestowed, forgiveness heals relationships. God cleansed and God healed and God provided for us in our relationship with him as he cleaned and cleansed and forgive not some or most or part, but all of our sins, all of our debts, providing a free relationship, an open relationship with him. Forgiveness helps to heal relationships. Forgiveness is, is something we need to receive receive from God and something that we ought to give towards others. What would it look like if we forgave like God? We'd forgive without limits. We'd remember God's forgiveness of us and we would choose to forgive others. 